Pray with me. Most holy God, I tremble at your word. I ask for strength. Oh Lord, may we hear and see and love the cross. May we see Jesus clearly crucified for our behalf. Amen. So, um, we go deeper into Romans this morning. We talked last week about um, those foundational truths that were there of grace alone, and I'm sorry, faith alone and Scripture alone and Christ alone. That, and these are three of the five battle cries of the, the reforming churches, the churches of the Reformation, that it's only by faith that we can be justified. It's only through Christ, our faith in Christ. He's the only Savior as He is displayed in the Scriptures and that the Scriptures alone interpret themselves, that they are our best interpretations of the Scripture and our final authority. There is no higher authority for us as believers than the Scriptures. And then Paul goes on further today to unveil to us solo grace or Solo gratia, the, the idea of grace alone. And he's setting the foundation for that the mercy and the grace of God is truly our only hope. And that we must rely upon his attribute, upon his grace, so that we might see. No pastor really wants to take the people of God up close to the wrath of God. But we also must address the Scriptures as, address, as the Scriptures reveal themselves to us. And so this morning it's an attempt for us to come at least to a deeper understanding of what God's wrath is and why it is justified. For three reasons... One is so that we as believers might fall deeper in love with the work of Christ on our behalf. The reason that we study and look at God's wrath as believers is not to dwell upon that, but to have it drive us to the place of the cross on our knees so that we might praise Jesus and lift Him up for all that He has done for us in receiving the wrath of the Father on our behalf. Secondly, it's for the unbeliever or the skeptic that may be with us this morning. That you may be convicted and that you may understand that you're under condemnation so that you may too run to the cross and come to Jesus, your only hope. And then the third reason is for the hypocrite. Those who call upon the name of Christ but live a life that's completely to the contrary of one who follows Christ. An enemy of the cross of Christ. Who lives in their own arrogance, their own pride, and truly is their own Savior. That you might repent from your hypocrisy 
and find yourself on your knees before the cross of Christ. It's a difficult passage, and the passages the next two weeks will be difficult. They make me tremble. The weight of them to preach them and to exegete that which is of God is no simple task, and I don't go to it lightly. The good news will come. We'll finish with good news today and we'll finish with good news next week, I promise. I'll try not to leave you in despair. But the real good news will come in chapter 3 when we learn that there is a righteousness that comes from God and God alone. So, so hang in there with me. We've got some hard things to go through, but they're going to lead us to a blessed place. These words that Paul pins, I was hoping the first time I ever read Romans when I read the just shall live by faith that Paul was going to move into this idea of how that works out, how wonderful it all is. But he takes a different route, and necessarily so, so that I might know my need for the cross of Jesus. And the reason is, is because every single one of us according to these scriptures, our final authority, have a terminal blindness. What do I mean by that? What do the scriptures mean by that? It means that we intentionally have blinded ourselves to God and His glory. And it started long ago. It started with our father, Adam, our mother, Eve, that there was an intentionality to be blind to God the Father in the garden and his glory and his commands and what he had told us to do, how he had told us to behave and the promise that he had made. If we would just do that, if we would just honor him as God and creator by following the one thing that he asked us not to do, then we would have paradise on earth forever. Our mother And her father decided to do something differently that affected us for every generation that will ever live as descendants of Adam and Eve. They conspired with the devil and made a plan to reject God as their father and to dishonor him and to wish that he were dead. From that point on, man has been fallen. Every single one of us. And every single one of us have that remnant of terminal blindness within us. And unless the Lord heals that blindness, we are doomed to God's wrath forever. For the wrath of God, 18 is being revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You see, it's an intentional blindness that intentionally suppresses. It isn't as though we don't know the glory of God. It isn't as though we don't know 
the beauty of God. It isn't as though we don't know the holiness of God. It's that we have taken our own fingers for our own purposes and shoved them in our own eyes so that we would be blind to the truth. It truly is the insanity of sin. But nonetheless, it is the truth of our sinfulness that we would rather be blind than to see the light. It's inherent in every single one of us from birth. And from that, when we look at Adam and Eve, we, we see a pattern that has been set for us. And it wasn't long after that we began murder. It started with Cain and Abel. And the human race has been involved in new and creative ways to murder one another ever since either through wars or through violence or through crime in some way, some fashion, out of anger, with our tongues, with the killing of reputation. We have sought to suppress the truth of God's love for us and God's love for one another so that we might intentionally kill one another. You say, Pastor, that may be harsh. Well, look with me at verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, them being mankind, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes and namely His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For all they they knew God... They did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. The inherent suppression of God and His glory and His honor to consume us to be the major concern of every area of our life has been diluted with each and every generation to the point where God is now an hour a week, even maybe just 30 minutes a week, and no longer corporately as the generations go by where the people of God come together not to worship themselves, not to hear their music, not to see their friends, but to surrender themselves and lay themselves down upon the altar of God as a living sacrifice for the glory of God, for the sake of just who God is. And been more consumed with temperature control swing sets, styles of music, and positive mental attitude. And where's the latest celebrity that we might go hear? Beloved, God finds that abhorrent. God finds that worthy of His wrath. 
And we intentionally do this every hour of every week. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of God, the immortal God, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Not only is there an intentional suppression in our blindness, but there's an intentional exchange that we've made. That I would rather put my trust in a piece of paper than I would in the living God. I'd rather find my security and my identity in a piece of paper than I would the living God. I would rather spend 50, 60 hours a week striving hard for this piece of paper than I would for the kingdom of God. I would rather lay awake at 3 in the morning worried and concerned is the paper going to fly away than I would... What is my role in advancing the kingdom of God? I'm even willing to manipulate and to kill for that piece of paper. To take it from someone who it belongs to. To rob them. It is there that God says it's worthy of His wrath. Not only is our blindness intentional, but this blindness is corrosive. Verse 24 and beyond, it says, Therefore God gave them up. What horrible words. What a horrible thing to hear from God. I give you up. Because of this intentional blindness, because men reject God and to say, I will not be consumed with His glory, I will not be consumed with His righteousness, I will develop my own kingdom, I'll develop my own righteousness, I'll find my identity in paper, I'll find my my contentment in that which surrounds me. Physically, I will worship the studs in the walls of my house more than I will worship the glory of the house of the Lord. God says it's foolish. Their hearts get darkened. And then He gives them up to their houses, to their money, to all of those things that they idolize more than they love Him. And there He finds reason for wrath. But look with me, it goes deeper. He gives them up to the lust of their hearts. They dishonor their bodies amongst themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator. And for that reason, God gives them up to dishonorable passions. You see the the pattern here is being set. 
People lust for things more than they love God. They lust for this world more than they love the world that God has yet to come and to deliver unto us. We lust more for status and power and control more than we do servanthood, humility, and meekness. And because of that, it says, because we lust that way, God continues to give us up to dishonorable passions because it degrades, that type of life degrades into an even worse life. For women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Look at these things and we can see it even in our culture today. That each generation is degrading more and more in a morality that has become amoral. That anything goes. Even to the point of your genetics having you being born a male and you decide that you want to be a female. Or to be born a female and to decide that God has made a tremendous mistake and you should be a man. And you and I at this point must begin to understand as a church and followers of God that this truth that we have exchanged is of our own doing. This is not the place where we blame God. Why are hard things in my life, God? Why did you allow such and such, God? Why did this happen to me, God? How could a good God allow evil in the world? And these Scriptures are teaching us clearly it's not God's responsibility. It's not God's fault. The responsibility of that which is wicked in this world, that which is fallen in this world, that which is dying in this world, that which is amoral in this world, that which is corrupt in this world, lies at the feet of ourselves. We are reaping what we have sown. And it's corrosive. And we will continue as mankind to reap that which is corrupt. Because we continue to allow and to tolerate and to sow that which is corrupt. And God has allowed it in His grace and in His justice to continue until His day of judgment. You may wonder to yourself, why am, I, why am I going through hard things? Why is this happening? Why isn't God changing it? Because God is more concerned with your soul than He is with your circumstances. 
And He seeks to change you. He seeks to change me so that we may see our circumstances change. And the blindness is terminal. There's no real way for us to heal ourselves at this point. Verse 28, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, He gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, another word for prideful, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Probably covers the waterfront. I find it interesting that in the same way that God's wrath is poured out on homosexuality in the way that we we like to point out as conservative believers all the time, it's that same wrath that's poured out on gossiping. That God doesn't equate sexual dysfunctions over that of spiritual dysfunction. But He sees them as equally deserving of His wrath. You see, it's terminal for all of us. Slanders. How often have we in our heart or in our mind or with our tongues spoken poorly of another person, especially someone else of the faith? How often in our mind have we degraded them as human beings or our people and sought in our hearts their harm. How often have we been willing to see another person fall for the sake of our own elevation? You see, it's even amongst our community. How do we trust or mistrust one another? Verse 32, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, not only do they give them approval, I'm sorry, not only do they do them, but they also give approval to those who practice them. Those who set up the camps. I'm of this person, or I'm of that person, or if I'm this philosophy, or I'm of that philosophy. Specifically for the purpose of not living for God, but living for self. How many of you right now this morning are holding within your heart? How many of us are holding within our hearts 
anger and bitterness towards another brother or sister even within this room. The Lord says through His Word, if that's where you and I are, we don't even deserve anything else but His wrath. It's because of these things from the idea of bitterness and anger towards another person to sexual dysfunction to worshiping that which is created over the Creator. It's that whole waterfront of our depravity that the wrath of God is being poured out even on this day. Because the blindness is terminal. John Piper puts it this way in his book, Godward. He says there's three ways that God is revealing His wrath upon us even today. The first way is this, death. It's the one thing we all have in common, that we will all die. The death is the punishment for sin. The death is the evidence of our corruption. That it's the full way that God's wrath is poured out on a person. That our, our physical bodies die. It is the evidence that we are of sin and from sin. And we continue to sin. Because our bodies are corrupt. The second way he says is frustration. That all around us, the world is frustrated. That we attempt to buy homes, was his illustration. We attempt to build homes, I'm sorry, build homes, and then in the middle of building the home, lightning strikes and burns the whole thing down. You build a beach house and a hurricane comes and wipes it out. You work hard for that promotion and you don't get it. shouldn't take us by surprise because it was right there in the garden that you will from now on work by the sweat of your own brow and your work will be frustrated. It's evidence of God's wrath against sin being revealed even in this world today that you and I will never get it right. And the third way he says it's revealed is this. Our human condition. Just in the way that we treat one another. It's me first. It's the motto of our world, isn't it? You can't love someone until you first learn how to love yourself. It's the motto of our hearts, isn't it? We must take care of ourselves first, then we're able to take care of others. Isn't self-protection one of our number one goals? If I don't elevate myself, who will elevate me? If I don't get my way, how will my way ever be? You've got to get in there and you've got to fight for it. 
And the contrary to that is a Messiah that comes to us and tells us, don't fight for it, turn the other cheek. Let God fight for you. But we ignore that. We eschew that. And we take our two fingers and we poke them in our spiritual eyes to be blind to what the Messiah has called us to do so that we might live in our own way. That is our condition. That is our humanness. And that is our depravity. And that is why our only hope is the mercy and the grace of God. That is why our justification can only be by faith in His grace for our justification. That is how we could never earn it. Let me give you one good example. The mass majority of people I've ever known that have come to Christ have come out of fear of hell. Not out of the glory of Christ. Me too. But don't you see the motivator was me? The motivation was I don't want to be punished. The motivation was I don't want to be hurt. The motivation wasn't God, I see your glory and I, wanted, I just want to dwell on it forever. It's in every heart of every human. I've got to take care of myself. There's an orphanhood in each and every one of us that has to be slayed by God's grace for us to be able to have hope. The only cure is for you and I to have a new heart by re-exchanging our heart for the heart of God in Christ Jesus. And that's what Paul is leading to with these scriptures about the wrath of God. Even for those of us who call ourselves disciples of Christ, that we might reevaluate, that we might remember that we continually have to exchange our life for the truth. That we must exchange our, our humanness, our heart of flesh, for a heart that beats with the heartbeat of heaven. And the glorious truth, the wonderful promise, the good news is this, that Jesus died for every one of these corrupt things. That on this cross that Jesus hung naked, He received upon Himself all ungodliness for all of mankind, for those who through faith would be blessed to believe it's true for them. It is the only hope that the naked Messiah on a piece of wood lashed to death, near death, died for all homosexuality, all bestiality, all stealing, all worship of money, all idolatry, all adultery, all egotism, 
He died for all of it and poured it upon Himself for all of mankind that we might be free. It is the only cure that His death was a propitiation for my corruptness and your corruptness. And in that death, this marvelous, mysterious truth happened that my heart of sin was exchanged with a heart of righteousness that is of God. Hallelujah. It is the only cure. There is no other. We are either under God's grace or we are under God's wrath. But how hypocritical that we who claim to be under His grace would live a life that deserves His wrath. How inconsistent with our salvation that we would gossip, that we would slander, that we would seek the falling of other people, that we would seek our way first, that we would be controllers and manipulators, that we would seek to find our lust fulfilled by the world and the things of the world, from computer screens to bottles to syringes, And still say, God's grace for me. We live lives that are called and commanded to manifest that which was done for us and to us. Not to live lives. Their lives of hypocrisy that say it was done for me and now I go my way. You wonder then what must I do? What is the application of studying this wrath? An honest confession and repentance is the first thing. You must look at these things and you must, and I must too, understand that there are times when I worship things that are created more than I worship the Creator. There are times I worship my personal comfort more than I worship the sacrifice of Christ. There are times I'm striving a lot more to build my own kingdom. Maybe you are too, than the kingdom of God. Maybe there's places where you're seeking self-elevation, self-protection, self-noticing. Maybe there's places in your heart of impatience and envy and bitterness towards other people. Maybe there's all of those things are just sort of balled up within you and I. And we must repent of those things. We must take those things to God. We must drop them at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, I repent. I turn. I'll have a different way of life. I'll walk in the Spirit and under the law of the Spirit. Why? Because you took this ball of junk and put it on yourself 
and you died for me that I might be free from it. And I will live in love and I will live in joy and I will live in peace. I will live with gentleness and kindness. I will live seeking the better of other people and not the worst. I will bear the fruit of your Spirit in my life. That kind of repentance cannot happen without honest confession. You must go before the Lord. You must fall on your face before the Lord. And you must say, Lord, I'm guilty. I repent. The second is to apply faith. Most of us think, and it's wrong thinking, let me just be blunt, that our faith is our faith, that we muster it up. That's not what the Scriptures teach. Your faith, my faith, is a faith that is implanted in us from the Holy Spirit Himself that manifests itself as we rely upon it. I have no more faith than you have, and you have no more faith than I have. We each have an equal amount of faith because we each have the Holy Spirit indwelling upon us. And because the Holy Spirit indwells in us and within us, we rely upon Him. Pray, Holy Spirit, manifest that which is true. Manifest that which is faithful. Manifest that which is self-controlled. Manifest that which is loving. Manifest that which is more kind and patient. Manifest that in me so that I might show the grace of God and not His wrath. We apply faith by in faith going to the Holy Spirit and saying, Spirit, manifest Your fruit out of me. That's a daily application. It starts early in the morning before your feet hit the floor. Spirit, manifest Yourself in me. For your first coffee, before your first kiss, before anything else happens in your life, Spirit, manifest Yourself in me. And thirdly, understand you're in a life of repentance. That all of life, as Martin Luther would say, is repentance. What does that look like? What does a life of repentance look like? It looks like a life of discipleship. It looks like a life of taking up your cross and following Christ. It looks like living for Him rather than yourself. It looks like a life of learning and prayer. I want to know more about Him. I want to see more of His glory in my life. I want to know more of His presence in my day. I want Jesus. That we along with the Apostle Paul and Philippians would cry out, I want to know Christ and the fellowship of His suffering so that I may somehow know the resurrection. We are to pray for that. We're to learn how to do that. And then we are to worship the living God and honor Him. 
not for what we get out of it, but for what we give to it. That we are to be poured out vessels because God is deserving of poured out vessels. And we are to fellowship. We are to have koinia. We are to have that family of being the people of God and the brothers and sisters held in unity by the Spirit of God. Because we're no longer under wrath, but we're under the grace and the mercy of God. This is what we must do. This is how we must apply our confrontation with God's wrath. We must exhibit our new hearts for all the world to see. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.